chapter 6, the spiritual warfare. We began this message a couple weeks ago, actually, and uh, I want to continue it on. I'm gonna, and next week I might hopefully be able to finish this section, uh, but we'll see. As we talk about the spiritual armor, it's, it was interesting to me in, in reading about this because some look at this passage and say there's six pieces of armor, say there's seven. And uh, the seventh one being, of course, prayer. Uh, often the sixth is because, the, you know, we have the shield of faith, we have the sword of the spirit, we have the belt of truth, we have the breastplate of, of righteousness, we have the, our feet shod with the gospel, the preparation of peace. So often that's why I would say there's only six. So, so which are there, six or seven? I don't know. <laughs> All I know is that each one of the elements that are mentioned are very integral to our warfare, including prayer, against uh, the devil and uh, himself as, as we speak of him. Satan's dialogue. There's three things as I look at before we get into the passage. There's three things I wanted to look about. We talked about Satan before. This, there's three things. Satan's dialogue, his devices, and his desire. Satan's dialogue found in Genesis chapter 3. He, first of all, he caused, turn back there so you can see that what I'm talking about. He caused doubt. Uh, now, why is this, why am I bringing this up? Uh, because this spiritual warfare we're in is against the devil and the multitude of his demons. So this is spiritual warfare as we're in. This is who we're fighting against. This is who the battle's with. Uh, so what is Satan's dialogue? Genesis chapter 3. He wants a dialogue with us just like he did with Eve there in the garden. Chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of every tree of the garden? First thing that he wants to do in his dialogue with us is to cause doubt. He caused doubt here in Eve's mind. Did he really say this? And you're going to have, you know, oftentimes either people or a voice in your head uh, or place of employment are going to say the same thing. Does that really what the Bible says? Is that really the way you're supposed to live? To cause doubt. The second thing we see in his dialogue there in verse 2 and 3 caused distortion of the truth. And listen, if he can distort the truth, we'll, in fact, we'll see in his temptation of Christ himself how he sought to distort the truth. But he distorts the truth. Verse 2. And the woman, woman said to the servant, servant, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Distorts the truth. God never said they couldn't touch it. He said you couldn't eat it. In Satan's dialogue, when he, when he comes to tempt us, he, he's going to cause doubt, and he's going to cause us to distort the truth. And if he can distort the truth, it skews everything. It's like uh, building a staircase, and about in the middle of the staircase, you skip two steps. And so you're running up the stairs, and all of a sudden, you're falling down to the floor. Why is that? There's two steps missing. It distorts the truth. You distorted that staircase to distort the truth. The third thing, it caused desire. Then the servant said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Wow. This is going to open my eyes. I can know good and evil. I can be like God. So this caused desire. And he, as he comes to tempt us, tempt us, he's going to cause doubt. He's going to cause us to distort the truth. But he's also going to try to generate in us desire to, to build that up. To, to, this is something I want. 
And as I said before, when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And when you got saved, what happened? Your want to changed. Well, he's going to, he wants to affect your want to. He wants you to want to sin. He just presents a temptation. The third area, the result, is found in verse 6. The result is disobedience. In fact, it's death. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave her husband with, with her, and he ate. Romans chapter 5. You say, Pastor Ken, why, why do you say dis, 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 disobedience and death? Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. When Adam and Eve participated and partook of that fruit and disobeyed God, sin passed upon all mankind. All have sinned. Did I eat of that fruit? No. Did you? No. But from that point on, every man was born not free from sin, but a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And just as one man sin entered into the world, in fact, this, this passage goes on, so by one man can sin be conquered, of course, that one man being Christ Jesus. We celebrate it today, that one man, Jesus Christ, what he came to do to, to free us from the penalty and the power of sin and eventually free us from the, from the presence of sin. So Satan's dialogue is to cause doubt, cause distortion of truth, cause desire, and the resultants of disobedience and death. So this is the dialogue. This is the temptation when it comes to you. Kind of be thinking through these things because this is, this is how uh, it's, it's going to work. This is how he wants to work. Uh, Satan's desire. What is Satan's desire? Satan's desire is the same now today as it was in the Garden of Eden. He wants to dethrone God and dominate man. He wants to get God off the throne and put himself in his place. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to set your testimony aside. He wants to set you aside from service. His desire is to dethrone God and dominate man. I, I think I'd used this illustration before about an old Indian chief uh, who had, come, uh, had accepted Christ as personal savior. And uh, he was explaining how he had to struggle with, within him, you know, to serve God or, or not to serve God. And he said, it's like a white dog and a black dog. He says, Which one of our, whichever one I feed the most is the one that wins. Satan's desire is to dethrone God and dominate man. What are you feeding? What are you feeding on? What is your feast? Are you in the Word of God? Are you, are you studying? Are you memorizing? Are you taking notes? Are, are, you, are you looking for the opportunity to hear the Scriptures as well as be in the Scriptures and then apply them, make them real in your life? Even as we talk about communion, not coming to it carelessly. We, we approach our lives, our Christian life, so carelessly. We're careless and foolish. And, and uh, we, we're giving Satan that opportunity. His desire has not changed. It's still the same. He wants to dethrone God and dominate man. The third thing I want, want to see is Satan's devices. For, turn over to 1 John chapter 2. You could say it's Satan's tactics. 
This is his plan, his war plan. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are Satan's tactics. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is, this is how he attacked Eve in the garden. As you look back at there uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, uh, lust of the flesh. And Eve saw that the tree was good for food. Lust of the eyes. And it was pleasant to the eyes. Lust, the pride of life. And a tree desired to make one wise. This, his, his tactics are going to be the same to you. He's going to try to appeal to one area of your life one way or another. He's going to appeal to your flesh. He's going to appeal to the eye gate. Or he's going to appeal to the pride. I can do this on my own. I don't need to examine myself. I'm ready to take part in communion. I'm walking with God. Pride. Lust of the flesh. You want this for myself. I want it for me and I want it on me. I don't want this for anybody else. I don't care if anybody else has it or if they have it, I'm going to take it. I have lust of the, uh, of the flesh. I, I have the lust of the eyes. I see something. I want it. I allow it to play tricks in my mind. I, I allow it to distort my thinking. So lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, this isn't, you say, well, that was back in the Garden of Eden. But isn't this interesting? Go to Matthew chapter 4. This is why I say that his devices, his tactics, have not changed either. They're the same even today. In Matthew chapter 4, we have the temptation of Christ. He had been fasting 40 days, gone into the desert. And while he was there, Satan attempted to lure Jesus Christ with the same temptations that he used in the deception of Eve. Did you hear that? Satan sought to lure Jesus with the same temptations that he used in his deception to, with Eve. If he thought it was good enough for Eve and it was good enough for Christ, it's going to be good enough for you. You can mark it down. These are the three areas that he's going to try to attack. These are the three areas that you and I are going to struggle in. This is very much a part of the spiritual warfare that we're involved in. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you're the Son of God, <coughs> command that these stones become bread. Well, that's lust of the flesh. Jesus was hungry. Could he turn those stones into bread? Absolutely. Notice what he said. Verse 4. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then, not only stones and bread, that's the lust of the flesh, but verse, go down to verse 6. And he said to him, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Cast yourself down out of heaven. Angels will deliver you. That's pride. That's appealing to His pride. Would angels deliver Him? Yes. Could He call upon Him? Sure He could. Just like when He was on the cross. He could have called them. They, couldn't, they could have released Him from that. Notice what he said. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Then it appeals to the lust of the eyes there in verse 9. Let's go down to verse 9. 
And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. He appealed to what he could see. He's speaking of the things that, uh, to be a ruler in the, in the uh, uh, rulership in the world itself. And Satan had that right to give him because this is his, he's prince and power of the air that this world has come, this realm. Then Jesus said to him, verse 10, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Two things. How did Jesus always answer him? It is written. Okay, he always answered him with scripture. Second thing, what book did he quote from? Deuteronomy. How many of you have spent a lifetime studying Deuteronomy? How many of you have ever memorized any verses from Deuteronomy? You ever think about that? This is the most often quoted book by Jesus was Deuteronomy. He quoted scripture, and it's very important that you memorize it, that you study it, that you meditate upon it. So when you are tempted, whether it be lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or pride of life, you can answer with scripture. Because why? Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. How can I resist the devil? With scripture. Jesus always answered with scripture. Listen, I believe it's safe to say that just like he, the, the devices, the tactics he used in the garden that he used with Christ, he's going to use on you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So, we're, we are in this spiritual warfare. Which brings us to just a quick look back at two weeks ago. Uh, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Talked about this last time. This is the preparation for the battle. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. One of the themes that runs through the book of Ephesians is we are in Christ. When I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, he placed me, not only the Spirit of God dwells within me, but I am in Christ. Remember in John chapter 10 when it talks about our eternal security, how we're placed in the hand of Christ, and then God's hands goes around Christ's hands, and we are secure. We are in Christ. His life is our life. His power is our power. His truth is our truth. His way is our way. His strength is our strength. Preparation for, for battle. My brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. What's, what's, how can I prepare for this battle? Because I'm in Christ, I can rely upon his power. I don't have to go through my own power, my own strength. I can rely upon his power. And so when I go into this day, when I go into the particular situation that I find may be tempting or tempted, whether it be lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, I don't have to go in my own power, I go in his power. Why did Christ answer with scripture? In Romans chapter 1, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, or the gospel, because it's what? The power of God. <laughs> that means in and of itself, the scripture is powerful to change lives. All by itself, it's powerful enough to resist Satan. It's the power of God unto salvation. Ephesians, or Isaiah 55, 11, And his word will not return void. His word will always carry out its intended purpose. Listen, I, if you get nothing else out of the message today, you need to go home and get in the word. And be in the word. Not because you're studying to prepare for something, but you're, you are studying to prepare for temptation. So you can stand against Satan, you can resist him because he will flee from you because the word of God is powerful. It can stand alone all by itself. 
So his life is our life, his power is our power, his truth is our truth, his way is our way, and his strength is our strength. The provisions for the battle. I, I think I've only got two of them t today, knowing the service will be a little bit longer because of communion. But I want to spend time on them so you can try to get a feel, okay? A real feel for this. First of all, the essentials. They're in verse 11 to 13. Uh, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in, heav wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. The essentials. Well, first of all, take responsibility. He says, you put on. I can't put this on for you. You can't put it on for me. Satan's temptation is he's going to come to you. May, he may never tempt me with the very same thing, even though it might be in the same way with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. You put these things on. If you're, if you're going to be ready for this spiritual battle, you need to put on this armor. You put it on. It's, it's intentional. I love that word. You probably picked it up, but it's intentional. You're doing this on purpose. Put on and take up. And in fact, earlier in the, in the book, you remember, he talked about the things you're to put on and the things you're to put off. You're being intentional. Put on and take up. It's inclusive. The whole armor of God. Not just one, not just the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we'll see later. Not just your feet shot of the gospel of the preparation of peace, that you can take forth that good, that good message, that good news. Not just the breastplate of righteousness, or the shield of faith that you can quench the fiery darts, you take up the whole armor of God. It's inclusive. You can't be selective, although that's the way we operate, isn't it? It's inclusive. To take responsibility. The second thing is to be ready. He says, stand firm. Revelation chapter 2, verse 25. His challenge, Christ's challenge to the church of Thyatira, in the face of false doctrine and unspeakable sins. He says, hold fast to what you have till I come. Stand firm. Stand firm. And one of the things I always remember uh, in football was they, they said that when you are um, in your position or if you're ready to, to make a tackle, you're ready to make a block, your knees are always to be bent. And you're always in that position of readiness. And, and you may have to move, but whatever direction you move, stand firm. Why? So you don't get knocked down. Stand firm. Hold your position. He says to withstand. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks a lot around about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour you. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, and hold your position, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Stand fast, steadfast in the faith. Hold your position. He is seeking whom may may devour, to dominate, to dethrone God and dominate man. Hold your position. Don't waver. Lust the flesh, lust the eyes, the pride of life. Hold your position. 
And finally, he says, finish strong. There, he says, having done all to stand. You, you've gone through this battle. You've taken this stand. You're holding your position. Don't stop now. <laughs> Don't stop now. It's coming uh, to the end of the summer. It, it may be coming to the beginning of the school year. It may be coming to the, the winter of your life. Don't stop now. Hold your position. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Finish strong. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7. I have fall as he writes here to Timothy. As he's coming to the end of his life. He says I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finish strong. Whatever it's you're doing, you want to finish strong. But especially in your Christian walk, as you're seeking to walk with God on a daily basis, finish strong. Finish strong. So you take, you, you take responsibility, and then you're to be ready. Which comes down to the equipment. I'm just going to look at two of the pieces of equipment today. First of all, there's the belt of truth there in verse 14. Belt of truth in verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Having girded your waist with truth. The belt is used to hold everything in place for freedom of movement, a place to secure your weapons. Uh, the soldier was to be ready for battle. He often would, would wear a type of tunic. It wasn't necessarily long in length, but it would hinder any of his movements if he had to move quickly or if he was involved in the battle itself. So they would put on this belt. To, to tie things together so they would be not only secure but out of the way and, and wouldn't prevent any of his movement. This belt of truth. No deceit, no disgrace, no hypocrisy. Essential for the operation of all, all the qualities of character. Not just speaking truth, but being trustworthy. As we, as we think of it, no deceit, hypocrisy, disgrace. Truthful and trustworthy. Not only can we trust your word, but we can trust you to keep your word. Truthful and trustworthy. We put on the belt of truth. Listen, when, we, when we're going to stand against the wiles of the devil and his, his minions, his demons, we must have ourselves girt about with the belt of truth. Now, this is, this is not, it could, you could make application here to the word of God, but later, specifically, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. This has to do with your character the kind of person you are. Uh, honesty is uh, often said, this is what you say. Integrity is what you do. We, honesty is a cornerstone of character. Character is the foundation of leadership. To be truthful. Ephesians 4.15, as we look back, remember it says, speak the truth in love. Philippians chapter 4.8, these are the things we're to think, think on. What's the first one? Whatsoever things are true. Truthful. Trustworthy. Being girded with truth primarily has to do, primarily has to do with the, the self-discipline of total commitment. I'm putting on this belt of truth for this freedom of movement. Why? You know what? I realize a battle's coming. And I'm committed to finish strong, to stand and to withstand. I'm committed. I'm committed to win. I've already won. I'm fighting from a, a position of victory, remember already. But it hasn't stopped the presence of sin to bring about temptation. The belt of truth. Second uh, one in, is, uh, is the breastplate of righteousness. Having put on, in verse 14, having put on the breastplate 
of righteousness. A breastplate. The breastplate was used to protect the, the, uh, the vital organs of the soldier. Uh, his heart, his lungs, his stomach, his liver. Uh, it, was, it covered the front, front, and the back. Uh, it was, sometimes it was made of a, a rather coarse cloth. Sometimes it was made of leather. Uh, later it was actually made of metal. But even with the, the letter or the uh, leather or the coarse cloth, they would take uh, the hooves from horses and from cows, and they would sew those onto place to help deflect uh, the the weapons. Uh, they would take pieces of metal sometimes and sew those into place to add to that protection and protect those vital organs. And so we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, just keep this in mind. Okay, this keep this in mind. To Jewish thinking, the heart is the seat of thinking and the will. In the Jewish mind, the heart was the seat of thinking and the will. The bowels, that is the liver, kidneys, stomach, intestines, lungs, this is the, this is the seat of emotions and feelings. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, what was he saying? We're protecting our thinking and our emotions. Listen, when you're in the midst of the circumstances of a temptation, it's real easy to do what? Get our eyes on the temptation, get our eyes on the circumstances, take our eyes off the God of the circumstances, and guess what? Our thinking becomes skewed. And therefore, our thinking becomes perverted. And then we, then we act on what? What feels good? What feels right? What feels good for me? How is this best going to be best for me? See, we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect our thinking, protect our feelings, our emotions. And it's not like, even as they said, no temptation has taken you but such as is common to man. It's not like you're the only one that's ever faced this temptation or this trial. You're not the only one that's ever faced this. I don't know what it may be that you're facing, but you're not the only one. And it says, and it goes on in that verse, God is always faithful to provide a way of escape. Maybe you have given in and succumbed to that temptation and actually sinned. God still always provides a way of escape to you, for you to get back in the position of fellowship that you need to be in. Satan creates a world system of this age, as it says in chapter 12, a sinful environment by which he tempts us to think wrong thoughts and feel wrong emotions. Satan desires to snatch the word of God from our, from our minds, re replace it with his own perverse ideas. Satan seeks to undermine pure living and replace it with immorality, greed, envy, hate, lies. Satan wants us to laugh at sin rather than mourn over it, to rationalize it rather than to confess it. Satan seduces us, after all, he is the angel of light, to become so used to sin in us and around us that it no longer bothers us. The breastplate of righteousness, not self-righteousness, but rather the righteousness of Christ. Let's talk about the righteousness. Righteousness really is twofold. We talk about righteousness, we're either talking about positional righteousness or practical righteousness. Let me talk about positional righteousness first. 
This, this uh, positional righteousness, God applies to the account of every, every Christian the moment he believes in Christ. The moment I believe in Christ, I, I am placed in positional righteousness or I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is speaking of the time of salvation. Romans chapter 4. Remember, there's two great faith chapters in the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 11 is what? Living faith. Hebrews chapter 4 is saving faith. Romans chapter 4, saving faith. Just as, verse 6, just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness. This is, this is an accounting term. That's why sometimes you'll see this translated, he, uh, he places on your account. It's, it's like this. You have a credit card. Somebody takes $10,000 and puts it on, on your account. Not to pay off a bill, but it's on your account to use anytime you want. What Christ is, what God has done, He has put, He has accounted unto us. He has imputed righteousness on our account. So when God looks at us now, He doesn't see our unrighteousness; rather, He sees the righteousness of Christ. We, this is positional uh, righteousness. This is positional righteousness. This is salvation. Also, now He looked down at verse twenty, speaking of Abraham. Now, Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for the, his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, speaking of Christ, who raised up Jesus, or speaking of God, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. It is put on our account. This is, this is positional righteousness. This is salvation. Practical righteousness. This, I believe this is what is being referred to in this verse. You, you know, for instance, uh, how can I put, I can't put, can I put on righteousness? No, it's accounted, positional righteousness? No, that's accounted to me. It's put on me. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We cannot put on what God has already clothed us with. For, but... For he made him who know no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, I can't put this on. He's put this on for me, that positional righteousness. What I believe he's talking about here is what's called practical righteousness. This would be sanctification in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Even back in chapter 4, Paul had already previously written verse 24 or 27. He says, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. See, I can't put on righteousness. That's already been imputed to me. But practical righteousness, in other words, how I live my life. For instance, what are you passionate about? Are you passionately pursuing holiness? Are you passionately pursuing to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do? This is, this is practical righteousness. This is where the rubber meets the road. This, when you walk out of this church, this is how you live your life. How do you live your life? This is practical righteousness. 
the daily life lived in obedience to the word of God. You're living in obedience to something. <laughs> okay. Are you living in obedience to the word of God? Are, are you practically putting into practice a righteous life? Do others notice by the way you live that you are a believer? Or do they have question marks themselves who you really are? Are you, say, are you, are, are you who you say you are? Do you prove it every day, every moment of every day that you are a believer in Christ, that you have been positionally placed in righteousness or unrighteousness, and you are practically seeking to pursue with a passion righteousness and holiness? This is a daily activity. It's a moment by moment. That breastplate of righteousness. How can we, how can we quench, how can we fight against the wiles of the devil? Well, it begins with what? The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we pray, as, even as we come to you now at this moment, I pray that our hearts may be certainly open to the Spirit of God working in our lives, that not only will we be knowing that we are placed because of our faith, but that we will be passionate about pursuing holiness, passionate about righteousness, that we will live our lives in obedience to the Scripture himself. If you're here this morning and, and, and you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, but you would like someone to show you from the Scriptures how to be saved, you just raise your hand quickly. I'd be more than happy to talk to you quietly after the service. Anyone? Secondly, if you're here this morning and said, Pastor Ken, just pray for me. I need to put on the belt of truth. I need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I need to be, be able to stand and stand strong. Anyone? Any others? Father, I pray for those who have raised their hands and those who are, you are speaking to. They may not have raised their hand, but yet they're struggling. And uh, Lord, I pray that you will bring them to that place of, of uh, complete passion for you, that, that uh, conformity to you that, and rather than conformity to the world. And indeed, Lord, awaken us to the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, that we'll recognize and see these things immediately and turn from them. And for you to serve you in Christ's name we pray. Amen.